Greetings and salutations, cool cats and cuties, brothers, sisters, and non-binary siblings. This is the anime podcast of some sort. I'm David Majors. I am joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, artist, cosplayer, and just all-around outstanding gentleman of of repute, Jack McAllister. What's up, Jack? Well, uh, outstanding might not be everybody's opinion of me by the end of this episode, but I'm doing swell. I'm exploiting a tiny virtual island for fun and profit. It's great. That, that's what I hear a lot of people doing. I, I hear yeah. a lot of people doing that when they're not killing the demons of hell and traversing through the universe to destroy aliens that look like angels. And I wonder which one PETA has more of an issue with. But I don't have to wonder. Never mind. <laughs> uh, the, the dichotomy of man. Uh, what we're all trying... of man indeed. What we're all trying to find things to do in the midst of this outbreak. Now, uh, the reason we haven't done APOS in a little bit is I made a command decision. Uh, right now, since it seems like the anime space is a bit at a standstill because of the COVID-19 outbreak, you've probably heard conventions are being canceled, anime shows are being delayed, people are being isolated, quarantined, being stuck at home. There's a lot of standstill in the anime space at the moment, and it was a little tough to draw out some anime podcast goodness. So we've got a chunk full of podcastry for you guys today, and I just want to jump in right with something that I saw a couple of days ago. Uh, As I said, because of the COVID-19 outbreak, uh, conventions are being canceled. Uh, Convention season is looming. Uh, The summer will be here eventually. But it's looking like to fend off the virus, conventions of various fandoms, anime included, are being canceled or postponed. But I saw something on the internet in the last couple of days, uh, the concept of virtual cons. And I found this very interesting. It's this idea that... uh, the people that run conventions will be doing streams of sorts where they will have panels and guests and artists and the like, except over the internet, online, virtually. I found this fascinating. Uh, Jack, are you familiar with this? Uh, Absolutely. So I'd actually been approached. uh, Someone sent me a link to one uh, that is currently being organized. And uh, it it seems like a great idea, you know, to... um, you know, for certainly for me as an artist uh, to get a little bit of additional income in these tough times, you know, most of us being uh, laid off or reduced hours or just working at home in a much limited uh, space. So this is a really great opportunity, I think, for a lot of people to, you know, kind of get some a little additional commerce rolling, have a little bit of fun while we're at it and just kind of. You know, I think it can curve off some of the disappointment uh, that a lot of people must be feeling for, you know, canceled plans. And of course, I know many people in my circle just kind of going like, well, what am I going to do about all the cosplay I was going to wear? So, yeah, honestly, yeah. I, I actually have some shipping on the way. It's kind of a drag. Yeah. Yeah, like all these all these different, uh, you know, ensembles and nowhere to go. So now uh, i think this is a fantastic idea and And it shows some real ingenuity on fandom's part i think i i do agree uh for for the cosplay i'm not exactly a social media cosplayer 
Jack. Uh, I will do it at conventions when I have the resources available. I will. Uh, I did have things for Colossal Con, which, uh, as of right now, as we're recording this on May, uh, April, or no, March. God. God. March. It's been a long quarantine. Yeah. March 28th. Uh, Colossal Con in Ohio is still on, uh, and I do have cosplays planned for that. Uh, not one really for social media cosplaying. I'm wondering what I'll do with those, but I love this idea of virtual cons. I love the idea of maybe a famous voice actor uh, doing a panel via Skype or Google Hangout or Twitch stream. Uh, I love the idea of artists getting to sell their work online because instead of just a local audience, then you'll have a global audience which is really really cool so i love the idea and i hope it goes well i hope uh, if this does continue uh longer than we expect i do hope that we find ways around it because i think for as long as fandom and genre entertainment has existed we have found ways to enjoy them and celebrate them under strange circumstances. So I look forward to seeing how this goes, Jack. I think that this will be good for a lot of people. Uh, I'm hoping my fellow Trekkies and wrestling fans and maybe even my Gundam fans out there invite me to whatever kind of virtual cosplay events they have going on so so I wouldn't be out there uh, on the frontier cosplaying by myself like a doof i hear that uh it's gonna be a lot of fun to see how this pans out and um i am starting to gather up uh, a bit of some anime art but we'll get into that on a later topic but david it's time to put a nail in the coffin yes indeed uh it's the end of an era uh in recent years cartoon network has seen regular show The Amazing World of Gumball, and now uh, Adventure Time as well, and now, finally, once and for all, here we are in the future and it's over. It is over, isn't it? And I can finally move on. (laughs) I will beat this horse because it is dead now. And I will move on to other things to criticize. Now, Jack. But I have a lot to get through. Jack. Of course, I I do have to lead you in. Jack. Please, by all means, and I'll jump in when necessary. Please give us your last rights on Steven Universe. As everyone knows, as you're hearing this, the final episodes of Steven Universe Future have aired on Cartoon Network. I watched them. I have opinions. Jack has opinions. I'm really interested in how we're going to discuss this. But Jack, I yield the remainder of my time to the gentleman from California. Take it away, Jackson. Steven Universe Future is the biggest botched piece of fiction continuation since Toy Story 4. It is just as invalidating of previous material, and it highlights the worst attributes of the series uh, and the entire series as a whole. Steven Universe is without exemption, without exaggeration, 
the biggest cock tease in animated television history. I have spent years, now half a decade now, watching this, hoping that something exciting or noteworthy or impressive would happen, and they continue with the way that this was uh, unfortunately stretched out, placed on hiatus, all these multiple bomb formats that were happening. I hated the Steven bombs. The Steven the bombs, Steven were, bombs the, were awful. Were the absolute worst idea. The absolute and, and worst. And even worse than that, like you, they have the illusion that it's a five-episode arc, quotations, big fat air quotes that you can't see that I'm making. There are no arcs in this show because once you realize you're not watching it in the context of these bombs, these massive, uh, you know, episode events that are all supposed to be watched in a big chunk and in a binge format, you realize that every episode is either resolved in and of itself in the 11 episode format, like most episodic ones, and the show doesn't actually have a roving continuity like it appears to because it will just reset into inane filler for a decent chunk of time, or it will be resolved in two episodes, but never five. Okay? The cluster... Malachite, everything has been solved in less than two episodes. It is infuriating. And the ending of this epilogue has been the most toothless, the least imaginative way that it possibly could have gone down. I swear to God, I anticipated a better way that this could have looked and moved. And it's just so frustrating to see this level of unprofessionalism on network television. Ah. That might okay. I I just I cannot get over how absolutely hideous that Steven looked at the end there. Can we just acknowledge how do you ugly mean, he was? Do you mean when he was like falling apart and he was supposed to be like an adult? Well that part too, but uh yeah, he looks like Hal from Megamind, but <laughs> Like, I'm with, talking specifically about Pink Godzilla with tits. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That that was wild. That was that, hideous. That was pretty wild. However, I will say, I did enjoy this final arc from one perspective. Uh, during this time period, Stephen is, I guess, sixteen, maybe seventeen, and. I think credit to the Steven Universe crew, whether it was Rebecca Sugar or someone at their team, whomever, they actually did a pretty good job of writing the character arc of a young adolescent man. I think they did a really good job with that, uh, showing internal issues, issues with family, issues with friends, uh, fights with parents, uh, especially being raised by a single father myself. I think that the actual context of Stephen himself was actually done pretty well when looking at it from that perspective. I think that was done well. But does it line in with anything? Okay, sorry. My question to you then is, um, is this not wildly, you know, a complete 180 for the character, as it were? Is this not the most textbook possible way that someone with 
uh, internal mental anguish with trauma, as the show blatantly puts out, is this not the most pretty bare bones way of approaching it? I can't really think of a lot of the dialogue or the instances where he's actually having an outburst or where there's any real contemplation where it felt like there was any original content there because he had had it just felt very cliche a lot of times. You know, the things he would say, like, you're just like my mom to Greg or yeah, I'm a vegetarian now. Rolls eyes like a lot of this has already been said before. I'm just starting to think of. This show is praised for being extremely revolutionary. And oh, I'm not saying it's revolutionary. No. I'm certainly not saying it's revolutionary. But where you would say cliche, I would say genuine. I think it was very, very genuine in that we saw a teenage boy who has dealt with a lot of trauma, who has dealt with an absent mother, and who has dealt with a, a father who has had... And a not terrible, but sometimes eh relationship with him. I think that this was very, very genuine. And I will give Steven Universe credit for that. That it felt genuine. It. I don't want to say it felt real, but it felt like whomever was putting this together, whoever went to Rebecca Sugar with this, it came from a very genuine place. And it, how they weaved it into the context of the show, I think that alone, and I'm talking specifically Steven, not much else, I think that was okay. I think that worked. Did it go off the rails at the end? Absolutely it did. Yes. With, with him turning into a monster. That that was, that was kind of wild. I will but, say everybody called it from the beginning, though, because it is the most rote way to the finish line that you can have. And then have every character blame themselves for for his trauma and I don't care that Connie called them all out for it it is still really tone deaf to do that and the fact that this is now going to just continue to be a precedent that people think of okay when someone's in trauma you gotta have people blame themselves it's just wild a lot of it's just Mm. I will never directly talk to him we're just gonna ask him if he's okay and then go all right we'll be here if you need us I I feel like I feel like it fell apart, but then I think that they actually did a pretty good moment of self-revelation where they realized, wait, no, this isn't working. And cliche, maybe, but again, I'll say it felt genuine when they all literally embraced Steven and... (laughs) Because Rebecca Sugar can't help themselves, used the power of love and friendship to bring <laughs> Steven back to normal. And everybody's crying because let's not forget that her full name is Rebecca. I think it's just think crying is really funny, Sugar. Oh, man. And that final episode is not even a full episode, first of all, but it's uh, just mostly people crying. <laughs> I knew they were going to have a a quiet uh, final episode, but just a lot of what we get to what we have to get through to get here. There couldn't have been some of these episodes, maybe 
you know, put to the wayside. There couldn't have been, you know, and this goes for the uh, the original series as well. You couldn't, you know, maybe not make the episode about the Fry family that no one really genuinely cares about outside of Ronaldo. You couldn't just give him two episodes, two minutes of screen time in some other episode and maybe, maybe pad out this extremely rushed hackneyed job that you're doing with your space opera. This show wanted really bad to have its cake and eat it too. And I hate that I have to hate the execution so much because if I could turn my brain off and watch it, maybe I could enjoy it again when I was just seeing it for the first time and thinking this is a new interesting concept but they never go anywhere with it in a way that makes it interesting or even makes sense like Stephen's had human friends before and then in this series he's having trouble I don't know well I don't think that Rebecca Sugar and that crew was ever really interested in the space opera beyond just the aesthetics of it Uh, I think that the aesthetics of anime uh, were much more of her proclivities than actually telling the stories that you get from high drama Uh, I think that they wanted the feels uh, for the kids because that's what a lot of the people on this show that were working on it probably went through. They probably went through the feels uh, and they, they weren't looking to tell a space opera story. They were looking to tell a character drama with lots of emotions. And that kinda worked but at the same time, it, they te- it failed enough for people to have arguments about it online about who's actually in the right. So they they teased a lot of world building, but in the end, they just gave you a lot of character drama. And the world building is arguably the best part of the show. Like they still get it wrong, but I still think that there is something there that they could have had something with, but. They just don't prop it up enough with enough architecture to really keep it from falling in on itself. Uh, I'll just say, you know, also I think that you might have uh, it right on the head with how they structured everything because how most of the episodes were written were in writing exercises where one writer would write a third of a, of a premise and then someone would write the middle and then another person would write... Uh, the ending and a lot of those ended up becoming fully fledged episodes and guess what it shows so when you go in with that kind of oh we'll just kind of do whatever idea and don't really go in to refine it and figure out maybe your characters are acting wildly different from the last time you saw them and not in a good way in a way that makes them wildly inconsistent lapis <clears throat> you uh, kind of just I don't know. If you want to have a slice of life story, do it. But if you also want to jangle keys in front of me and pretend like you're trying to do something that's cohesive and fully contained, you know, maybe don't jangle the keys in front of me to begin with because I'm going to get mad, you know? And, and the fact that I'm using uh, an instrumentalizing metaphor is I will say, full, yeah. you have every right to be mad because there was a much larger story teased throughout the entire series and it just never really materialized beyond people's feelings for steven 
and yes, he's the main character. Yes, he is going to be constantly following him. There's never a moment where we're away from him. And that is a major hindrance to the show. And they even kind of said that in the last episode, that everything revolved around Steven to the point yeah. where he, he literally had a meltdown. Uh, and He's literally the most important character in the universe. You could almost argue that nothing even exists outside of him, uh, outside of his perception of things, which is, I don't know, Schrodinger's universe, Steven's universe. It's a new take on Schrodinger's cat, but... I don't know that that side of things and then technical when when you have, uh, you know, on a visual standpoint of <sighs> David, I got to do it. Go for it. There's nothing impressive about these characters, their visuals, their designs, nothing. This is as generic as Clarence, as the extras from Powerpuff Girls 2016 Cartoon Network. You have a house style and I hope to God that with this series dying that will also die so you can start to make a new era of animation that is not thin-lined Adventure Time. But, nope, you're not going to do that because Adventure Time Distant Lands is going to premiere sometime in the 2020 season. And uh, other than that, you're completely fucked for good content. But let's just get it yeah, out of the way, it, David. It really, is con- it really is the end of an era. And... When Cartoon Network has these eras end, whether it was the the first run of the cartoon cartoons with Dexter and Johnny Bravo and then later Ed Ed and Eddie, and and then like the Powerpuff Girls, there was this empty period uh, before we eventually got like Chowder and Flapjack, which eventually led into a regular show, Adventure Time, Steven Universe, and, and what have you. What are they going to do in the next couple of years? What is Cartoon Network going to do? Because as much as I like Apple and Onion... I do, too. That's a decent show. (laughs) And I'll give... I gave Unikitty a chance when it was on, but I can never Mm -hmm. find it. Uh, It seems like right now the upcoming era of Cartoon Network, this post-CalArts world that Cartoon Network seems to be entering... Does anybody really know what they're going to do? They're going to respond to criticism directly through Thundercat's roar because anyone who doesn't watch it is a poopy poop brain. That's directly from the show. I can't believe that's a real clip I saw. I I, completely (sighs) forgot that that show existed until you said it. I know. I've got advice for the new era of Cartoon Network, and it directly correlates with what Steven Universe did and what you should not do moving forward. These are the okay. So for everything that Steven Universe did wrong, right? I think that it really did have its heart in the right place, and everybody who was working on it had a honest, determined effort to see it through to the end, to see a project aesthetically and uh, you know environmentally with the vibe that they were going for. However. If you continue to move forward, Cartoon Network, this is what you're going to need to do. Stop disregarding technical skill for personal style. Because first of all, if your characters are as simple as the characters in OKKO or Steven Universe or anything else that you're currently airing right now, and you can't get the storyboard artist to continue to stick to one design 
so you just have to let them draw the character however, you've got a really serious problem on your hands because it is an animator's job to make it look correct. So if you can't get them to get these simple designs on paper, you're fucked. You also cannot think that adding content that is potentially controversial is the best thing in the world just by itself. LGBT content, characters of color, all these different kinds of staffing uh, things where you have a diverse staff, you're hiring different people, uh, trans folks. I That won't matter if it's not quality workers, if it's not quality work, if it's not a quality written LGBT character. You need to actually put in the effort. I am no longer going to accept recommendations from anybody who gives me a piece of fiction and says, you got to watch this. This character is trans. Are they a well-written trans character? Are they a well-written gay character? And finally, no matter how much your series is hated, no matter how popular it becomes, you can't get complacent and you can't get arrogant. If you think that you are as bad as the worst comments say or what the best praisers are praising you for, you're never going to get anywhere. So don't think that if you make the next Steven Universe that you can do no wrong and whatever you put on the screen is going to be acceptable because I am telling you right now, I have seen the end and I will never be watching Steven Universe Future again. And there are very few episodes, in fact, I can count them on one hand of the original series that I will ever be watching ever. Because the good episodes are the exception and not the status quo. Okay, if I may, Jack, and this is to Cartoon Network, if you have a show that you are going to greenlight and the director and the creator tells you they have plans for a story arc, make sure they have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Because the one thing Rebecca Sugar says she loves anime so much... I think she just loves anime style. She doesn't actually love anime. She loves the style of it. Because when you have an anime series, especially one that is going to run for a while, the director and the creators have a plan. They have a beginning, they have a middle, and they have an end. This is an ongoing problem with a lot of franchises and series in the West Today, a show yes. gets greenlit, and then it's just one season, then another season, and then another season, and the creators are just kind of going along as they can go along, and they don't really have a plan. This happens far too often because everyone's always expecting to only get one season. If you get greenlit, have a plan. Have a goddamn plan adventure you write time your ending before you write your beginning honestly adventure time did not have a plan no. Re- <laughs> regular show it did not have a plan but that show is rick and morty does not have a plan that show regular show it, it kind of didn't need a plan just given the format of the show the amazing world of gumball 
doesn't need a plan. But you're, if you're doing a show with characters that you intend to develop over time and grow them, and, and you have a story that you want to tell that is an, a larger story and not just about one person, if you have an actual story that you are going to tell, if you are building a universe, if you are world building, have an end game in mind. Yes. By all means, absolutely yes. Cannot agree more. And make sure that that story, your beginning, middle, and an end, can stand on its own. And if it can't, you need to workshop. And don't take it all upon yourself, dear showrunner. You need to actually ask for feedback and criticism. And... the people you have, the people you hired, should be able to help you on that. And that might not even mean just working with people you've already known from school for five years. It might need to be going outside of your bubble. And that's okay. Fresh eyes, differing opinions, those are okay. And if you are going to world build... Make sure your world can stand on its own. I understand you love your characters. You love your characters very, very much. You create them. You build their stories. You build their lives. You build their arcs and where you want to see them go. But your world and the world that you want to build should be able to exist without them. If it can't, You need to work on that. And the network that's giving you the money for your show should tell you that. Like, if you have plans on doing a five-season show, you better have something in mind at the end. Because part of the journey is the end. So make sure, make sure you have a plan. I think we all learned that from the recent Star Wars trilogy, didn't we? Oh, have, yes. Have a plan for your beginning, middle, and end. Brad Bird famously said that if you can take it, you've got to put your ideas out there for criticism because the good ideas will withstand the criticism and the weaker ideas will fall apart to make room for something stronger. And can I just shout out really quickly, speaking of endings, like there is a modern ending in uh, animation right now that was excellent. Bojack Horseman ended because they had to. They had a definite planned end. Excellent work, you guys. Just shout outs to Netflix animation for just giving a very excellent standalone show that ended. My God. Take notes, Supernatural. And by all means, Cartoon Network, this is not personal. It's just business. And nobody will mind if you end Teen Titans Go. No one. Not a single soul. Jack, I will say one thing about the ending of Steven Universe uh, before we move on. I did like the Cookie Cat callback. I did like that. Nah, honestly, me too. I think that when when there is a planned callback, it, it was honestly decently executed. There were things I did like. I just wish that I felt comfortable ever thinking the show is worth revisiting how oh man but rest in peace says 
Best of luck in your future endeavors to everybody at Steven Universe. Indeed. Uh, here's hoping that there's, you know, something more cohesive to work on in the future. Yeah. Let's move on and, and talk about uh, a Vigi game that just came out. Uh, right. Not Doom Eternal, because that might just <laughs> be me. And and while I'm appreciating Doom Eternal, uh, we're going to go to the or- other corner of the dichotomy of man. Animal Crossing New Horizons on the Nintendo Switch came out the same day. <laughs> the that very was such a same day. Marvelous meme. I, I loved all the Isabel and uh, Doom Doom guy crossover art. That was just glorious stuff. The the dichotomy of man. Uh, Jack, you have Animal Crossing. You you've been sucked in. Actually, my sister asked me about Animal Crossing <laughs> yesterday, and I said to her, eh, "Why not?" Uh, Jack, what are you thinking about Animal Crossing? So this is my first foray into being extorted by Tom Nook, and I am loving it, honestly. Uh, I knew that this would be a good quarantine game to kind of bring a little bit of normalcy back into stuff, but little did I know that the whole thing is especially gamified, and I don't know if this is specific to this installment or if uh, you know, the other games would feel similar in that aspect, but it is a very good uh, Harvest Moon-style simulation game. And I'm not too keen on vanilla Harvest Moon. I'll be very upfront with that. I could not get into the wildly popular Stardew Valley. Uh, I am more akin to the Harvest Moon's uh, brother uh, series, Rune Factory, which is the Harvest Moon trappings on top of a few small dungeons in the area that you can face like an ordinary RPG. And uh, it's a lot of fun, and I enjoy that kind of fantastical add-on element to it, in addition to the fun farming stuff. But uh, Animal Crossing New Horizons has been very very satisfying without any needed uh, JRPG stuff. Although, if they want to start making, like, Animal Crossing uh, Rune Factory stuff, I mean, you could start getting the Fire Emblem folks in there if you really, really want to. I'm not saying I want them, but, you know, it is possible. I think that you can you can find ways. Uh, but New Horizons brings uh, a new miles system where you kind of uh, level up by doing various activities for a certain uh, amount of time. And then, of course, new levels sort of open up as you continue on. And it's it's all very fun. You can use those miles to spend to go to different areas, uh, different islands, as this is a deserted island getaway of sorts as opposed to the other games where it's either your own new town or you're just a stranger to a new town. Um, I did also take a look into the speedrunning for this game, uh, as it is the only other game uh, in the series that I know that has a routed uh, speedrun, aside from the original GameCube game. I could be wrong on that, uh, but that's as far as my research had allowed me to see, and that's looking fairly interesting as well. Uh, David, are you familiar at all with um, the the time traveling meta in this game? I've heard a little bit about it. Yes. So I don't know if I'm going to do such because I am actually surprisingly emotionally attached to my town thus far. But uh, basically, the game runs on 
the Switch's internal clock. So the real game time and uh, your time in real life will line up. So people will time travel by, you know, if they need events happening the day after, you can go in and just change the clock to tomorrow and boom, you've got, you know, the events or the effects happening there. So I'm sure that's got quite a bit to do with it. But aside from that, no, it's a very, very decent experience. And I would say for anyone who's needing a little bit of a pick me up, you know, maybe you're not doing so well mentally. Maybe you need something a little different, a little distraction in the quarantine times. This is super nice because it'll give you something to look forward to. And I will say that in these times where we're all quarantined and self-isolated, if you need a little adrenaline rush, if, <laughs> if you need to vent some frustration, Doom Eternal, well, it's it's Doom. It's, it's the OG <laughs> of violent shooter video games beyond its older brother, Wolfenstein. Uh, it's, it's, God, it's the music, Mick Gordon, you've done it again. <laughs> it's, it's fast, it's frenetic, it's brutal, it's doom, it's doom, and damn is it good. It's, it's, I've been loving the gore effects I've seen. Yeah. Uh, very well done. That's a new blood engine for sure. <laughs> the, it's very satisfying. It really is. Now, David, I've got a question for you in regarding the OG Doom. I, we've got to get the meme in there. Uh, what's the strangest device you've ever run Doom on? A PlayStation 1. Oh, man. Uh, well, I did tell you before the podcast, but I'll let uh, APOS listeners know that uh, my answer to that question is a relic from my high school days, a Texas Instruments calculator. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> The good times never stop. <laughs> Absolutely amazing. Uh, so, yes, if you are playing both Animal Crossing and Doom, because you got the both sides of that on this podcast here, uh, let us know. Send us a nat. Uh, send me an at at call me DJM. Send Jack an Insta on Duck Behind the Wheel on the Insta. Let us know how you are experiencing the dichotomy of man. Maybe I'll let you visit Mothopolis. As I've called it. Oh, is that? There that, are many moths. Called? I've called mine Mothopolis. The I was going to call it the Isle of Moth, but that did not. It did not give me enough room for that. Oh, that, that's actually a great name, the Isle of Thank Moth. I, I, I know. That. I would have loved that. Or if I had enough room aside from that, I would have named it after my D and D characters' uh, origin home, uh, the Isle of the Mammoth. Oh, Jack! I just realized what you could have named it. Uh oh. Life is like a hurricane, hurricane here in Mothburg. Mothburg. Man, next time. I mean, I almost went with Mothville, but it just seemed a little plain, you know? Like, it's it's going to be a bustling city, you know? Metho Metropolis, Mothopolis. Mothopolis. I like it. Uh, okay. Moving on into uh, some actual anime again. Uh, there is a Netflix series uh, that I've really, really enjoyed in the last few years called Altered Carbon. Uh, the second season uh, just finished starring Anthony Mackie and William Lee reprising his role uh, in the role of Takeshi Kovach, uh, a centuries-old 
marine soldier guy in this uh, futuristic world where the hook of this world uh, is that humanity has found a way to move their consciousness into new bodies. Uh, And the technology they use is called stacks. And our protagonist, Takashi Kovach, uh, has had his stack moved through different bodies throughout the centuries. Uh, And it takes place in a very Blade Runner-y, futuristic universe where humanity has gone to the stars and what have you. Uh, There was an anime, Altered Carbon, that just came out that I just watched today called Altered Carbon Resleeved. Uh, and I know people are very skittish on the upcoming Ghost in the Shell Netflix animated series. I know people are very, very skittish about the whole CGI modern anime look that some Netflix shows are doing. But Peace stars. Yeah, people are talking about that one. Is that one good? Uh, I watched a couple episodes of it, and so far that has been putting me off a lot because the characters over animate kind of ragdolly but the style is neat and uh you know i i am intrigued by the world i think it's been a little expositiony thus far but you know looking forward to more um well i do think that altered carbon resleeved actually does a really good job of uh, giving you exposition if you have not watched the netflix altered carbon series which you should by the way uh <laughs> The action is there. The The action is really well done. Uh, the dialogue is very anime. It's very anime. <laughs> uh, I, I would thing. say that the comparisons you could make are to the Blade Runner short, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, that was a really good anime short that I liked. And I, I think that this movie for Altered Carbon, it worked really well because it was Takashi Kovach in a different body on a different mission. But a lot of the tropes from the first two seasons were there. Uh, There was VR, there was action, there was Takeshi doing a job for his Yakuza boss, Tanaseda-san, and there was his sister being involved. Uh, It had all of the beats of the Altered Carbon series so far. The only thing that was missing was Will Yun Lee. Uh, But I'm guessing, you know, since it was an anime, he probably couldn't have made it. Um, I would say that it was a good companion piece to the first two seasons of Altered Carbon. Uh, It was a okay side story where we see Takashi Kovach in another body on another mission. And it's kind of cool. I just, I really still enjoy being in that universe. Uh, If you do check this out, let me know, and please, please, please check out the Netflix Altered Carbon series. If you're thirsty for some good sci-fi, man, Altered Carbon. Uh, if you're especially of that influence of the Blade Runner style, man, Altered Carbon is waiting for you. It is waiting for you. Uh Solid action, great acting, world building. Hello, world building. Yeah, and if you want real sci-fi, I mean, come on. 
Okay. Where could you go wrong? Yeah. By David's recommendation. <laughs> you can't. Altered Carbon is it. And the, the anime resleeved was pretty good, too. Not quite the Animatrix good, but it was good. If Especially... So go ahead. I was just going to ask, uh, in regards to uh, the the in-world currency and uh, system and such, uh, does any character have air quote-unquote mad stacks? <laughs> Don't ever change, Jackson. Don't ever change. Uh, I gotta bring it. <laughs> Don't ever change. Don't you dare change. Uh, I'm gonna let you have the next one. Uh, Marvel Heroes, apparently. Tell me about what's going on with Marvel Heroes. All right. So uh, Marvel's been unleashing uh, a new uh, five-pack of characters and uh david i better i better find these for you because you've got to join in on the the internet punching bag regardless of anybody there is not a single person from any community that could have benefited from these that uh is doing so you know everybody absolutely despises these uh so there's a new uh I think it's a new comic series that Marvel is going to try and push the new warriors and the new warriors uh, are filled with some very modern. Oh, is this like the snowflake thing? Yeah, it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. So I don't need to tell you then. All right. So we've got uh, just, I'm going to go down the line here. We've got Screen Time, uh, which was a hero that uh, came about not in the same way as uh, Bruce Timm's Freakazoid, unfortunately. He sniffed a something, a substance known as internet gas, which I think is just a fancy word for jewels. Anyway, his power is that he can Google any fact, and he is constantly connected to the internet. So he doesn't have a superpower in 2020 is what you're telling me. Um, <laughs> this this character is uh, just blatantly Ben 10's Superwatch personified. I've never seen anything that I think would floss more readily than this character design. And then you move forward and then you have uh, the character Trailblazer, whom everyone has already jokingly called Dora the Explorer because she is also not super powered. She has a magic backpack. So you take away the backpack, there's really nothing there. Then there was the, I guess, Twilight bait character uh, is the B-negative kind of looking more like a, a villain than a hero, but maybe that's the, the idea. So let's move on to the real, the real egregious characters here. Which are the twins, and they look like B-grade versions of the Wonder Twins with their outfits, and they are known as Snowflake and Safe Space. Okay, now I have something to say about this, because I'm going to bring wrestling into it. Uh, there is a pro wrestler uh, by the name of Sonny Kiss, uh, who is with All Elite Wrestling. Um, he looks exactly like... These twins, they look... <laughs> exactly like Sunny Kiss from AEW. I've got a So everybody out there, a theater of the mind, Google along with me, Google along with Jack. Go ahead and Google AEW wrestler Sunny Kiss. 
And then while you're doing that, open up another tab and then go into Google and look up these new Marvel heroes, Snowflake and Safe Space. And tell me, tell me, damn you, tell me that Sonny Kiss better lawyer up. It's time mm-hmm. for Sonny Kiss to lawyer up. Mm-hmm. Luciano Vecchio, you better you better pray for your job security. Oh my goodness! But uh, most of the criticism that I've been seeing from the non-binary community is that the character Snowflake, who is non-binary, uh, you know, the idea of taking these names, uh, you know, and and taking them as an ironic sort of a badge of honor is that's not. That, that's that's very this is almost like uh you know if if you were going to you know use any any word or insult or slur thrown from uh, a member of 4chan from 2010 circa era like this is very this is five six seven ten years too late for these characters i think you know as that it's it's kind of turned into a joke in and of itself there are more snowflake jokes and memes than there are people genuinely using these terms uh and the same thing for safe space as well and then moreover with these designs another thing i've I've been seeing going around which i very thoroughly agree with is that uh you know even if you're subverting the idea of wearing uh the color that corresponds to your gender as the the male safe space is wearing a predominantly pink outfit and the non-binary snowflake who um is you know smaller a little bit slighter build uh so you imagine possibly an afab character but i'm not going to make that call um you know even if you're swapping uh with that and having them wear blue as opposed to pink and then having the more masculine character the character who is going by he him pronouns um with pink that is not something that the non-binary community is very comfortable with or cool with i'm not about to speak on that for them i have seen that directly quoted by many a tweet many an outcry about this uh and and just more so they're not they don't look very battle ready there's not really any armor to do so with them and this is wrestling gear yeah, this is wrestling gear. These are like knee pads and, you know, uh, you know, safety gloves for gripping. Like this is and then you get into uh, this is something I haven't heard anybody discuss. So I've got to make a point about this. Uh, they are hyper aware of modern culture and optics and they see their uh... superheroics. <sighs> it gets better. It, I mean, as by which I mean, it gets worse. They see their superheroics as a post-ironic meditation on using violence to combat bullying uh, this motherfucker he needs to stop right now no one says post-ironic meditation about nothing never unless you God. are a character in fiction who is start made to sound stupid like you are a hippie or a weird social justice warrior that you don't want anything to do with that's so bad and i'm lefty liberal as hell and oh my god this is awful this is awful who wrote this it's really bad and then i don't even think that they're thinking things through as opposed to like like, is is this supposed 
is this supposed to appeal to me? Is this supposed to appeal to <laughs> LBGT people? Is this supposed to appeal to non-binary people? Who is this? No, I take all of that back. This is supposed to appeal to the angry white neckbeard comic nerd who is upset at the SJWs. That's who this is for. This is for them. It's for something to shitpost about and get angry about, isn't it? I, I would hope not. This really feels like it's supposed to be a genuine concerted effort because these are God, their new I warriors. I really hope it isn't. There I needs really to be hope some more workshopping done. I really hope right. that this is not a genuine concerted effort to appeal to marginalized people. And it might be. I, I'm hoping that it is more a subversive, sinister way to appeal to the angry white comic nerd that's mad that his comics are being taken away by the SJWs. That's what I I hope it is. Smart enough for that because this is monstrously bad. And God, Sunny Kiss, if you're out there, lawyer up, dude. Mm -hmm. This is exactly dead ringer. Call Tony Khan at AEW and make sure that he can get you a, a good lawyer. It is time to lawyer up. Dude, Sonny Kiss, if you're out there, lawyer up. We better be hearing those phones ringing. Uh, yeah, and even the character, like, the these character archetypes are still very, very basic. Like, they're not even breaking stereotype because then they're going forward to say safe space is a big, burly sort of stereotypical jock. He can create force fields, but he can only trigger them if he's protecting somebody else. Snowflake is non-binary and goes by they, them, and has the power to generate individual crystallized snowflake-shaped shurikens. The connotations of the word snowflake in our culture right now are something fragile, and this is a character who is turning it into something sharp. Just, this sounds like a first draft. This does not sound finished, much like many of the musical numbers in Steven Universe, and that's what we call a comeback. These seem like unfinished descriptions of they characters. wrote this to get this out that's what they did mm-hmm. they had to finish they were like oh the world's ending and we don't have anything Whew, get it out there <laughs> oh my god man i i you gotta go back to the drawing board quite literally for this and sunny kids look it up you, you mm. jack i did something i never do i tweeted and tagged sunny kiss oh no I oh man I hope he's I hope he hasn't seen them before. This is most fucking egregious. <laughs> Holy cow! I I hope that I will get a, a report back on on any and any reaction that you might receive for that because I I hope that he hasn't seen those yet. I hope I hope he has. I hope he has. Yeah, I hope someone else has uh, has already brought it to his attention. Of hey, maybe you uh, like, dude, dude. Have you seen this? Hold up. <laughs> like, uh, wait, what the? Oh, oh, hell no. Hell no. Mm-mm. Not today. No. All right. Moving on to something a little bit more positive. Uh, I said on the last few episodes of the podcast, Jack, that the winter season and the upcoming spring season for 2020 for anime uh, left me feeling a bit hollow and meh. Now, I actually do 
like to get a gauge of what people are watching, what people are, are checking out, and what gets buzzed, what's generating a lot of excitement. Uh, and I got this recommendation from you as well as many, many others uh, online and offline uh, before we all went into isolation. So I checked out on the Crunchyroll, keep your hands off Azekin. Uh, I I went through it earlier today before we recorded. Uh, I woke up early today. I woke up like around seven or so, and I just I knew I actually put it in my phone to to remind myself to watch. And I was up early, and I just opened up Crunchyroll and went underway. Now, Jack, you specifically mentioned uh, when we were talking about this show uh, episodes five through eight, uh, yes. but I will let you know and let the listeners know that I. I watched a majority of the series. I watched uh, everything up till episode eight, one through eight. And then I decided, you know what? I pretty much got the gist of what's happening with this show. And I do what I sometimes do. And I go right to the last episode because again, having a show with a beginning, a middle and an end is a great idea. It's so great. I love it. <laughs> but I will say oh, this, Jack, cow. I dug it. I dug keep your hands off Azekin. Uh I thought that the three main characters were all very, very charming in their own unique ways. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually enjoyed them all. Uh, and this show, in, in a way, uh, I'll say this to you, Jack, because when I was watching this show, I definitely thought of you a lot. <laughs> and this show showed a unquenchable love of creation yes and not just anime not just animation but the creative process and and creation that is so fantastic and the show did this in such a way with these three charming characters that i just found absolutely terrific uh, and the way that they got to where they did just the very premise of this show i can see why it was made into a movie like this is a great movie plot uh, and just how they went from one beat to the next going from starting from nothing to getting the warehouse to going to the student council and getting a budget and then getting more help from other students to eventually making it all the way to comic and selling dvds uh, until we finally didn't see their one big project's finished product until the very very end uh, i think just as a complete series it was really well done. And the opening theme song, of course, I, I think everyone already knows Easy Breezy. That song's going to be around for a while. <laughs> Spotify actually recommended that to me way before I had started watching the series. And I was like, oh, this is a little annoying. And then I liked a different cover of it that ended up on Spotify. And then the original ended up in my feed. And then I just kind of went, just, what is going on? It worms your way into your ear. And, and now I've done a full choreographed dance of it in my own gender-bent Kanamori cosplay, so. <laughs> Jack, I'm the guy that introduced everyone to Bradio's opening theme for Death Parade, so I, I will not shut you on that one. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, now, Azekin is... 
it was terrific. It was absolutely terrific. And I loved how passionate you could see uh, the people behind the show were for the process of creating. And that was really something to behold. And I loved, absolutely loved most of Kanamori's dialogue because (laughs) I, I loved maybe I'm just showing a little bit of my own psyche here. I loved her being like the producer of the project and having to occasionally know when to let the, the creatives run wild and then knowing when to reel them in. Uh, I, I really took an appreciation to that of being the producer and the overseer of the project and uh, understanding what goes into building an entire thing, the, the finances of it, the production of it, uh, the negotiations with other entities to make things happen. I loved all of that, uh, more so than the, the animation and, and the cells and all of that and the, the flipping of the papers, which is really, really cool and seeing how i think the thing that really impressed me early on was when they put their pitch into the student council with the very early sketch that they did um of i believe it was called hold that machete tight yes what i really appreciated from that one is that it had frame rate that had frame rate like hell and and i was really impressed to the point where and this might be my one quibble with the show i think they probably spent their animation budget in the right places i would agree but i think that the rest of the show suffered because I feel like the the regular character interactions, the day-to-day stuff, that could have been better. But then I think to myself, with what the show are watching, I'm saying to myself, maybe it couldn't have been better. And maybe that's the point. The animation goes to certain places, and certain things are prioritized, and certain other things are not. And, and I picked up on that. I, I learned something, Jackson. Indeed. And, and, and I learned why animators make the decisions that they make, and why producers have to make the decisions that they make. And... That's cool. I, I love learning something from anime. I love that. I, I full hearted. I absolutely agree. And uh, I, be, I absolutely agree with you on the subject of Kanamori. I believe that she is without a doubt the best character. Um, she certainly, I, I think that she's not the character that speaks to me the most. I think that that would either uh, come to uh, Sukibami or Ak- uh, Akasuka. But either way, both of which were very on the nose as far as the creative type can be. Uh, whether or not you're so into the process that you have this platonic ideal of how absolutely every scene should go, but you also are one human being that needs to rest and sleep and have you know your own life and priorities outside. I'll draw of that. everything. I'll draw everything. I will draw these backgrounds because the art club can't do it. Damn it. And, uh, of course, Asakusa just being very much like, well, I've got it in my head. This is exactly what it needs to be. It's like, just we're, too... We're literally two months behind. No. 
it's a very uh, refreshing dichotomy between the three of them. And something I noticed, David, a little uh, early on that I came to really appreciate was even though you are correct in that they very heavily economized their animation, I believe that they still managed to animate the trio in a unique character animation style for each. Uh, you have inherent in their designs, even, you know, the way that they're just they're drawn. You have Kanamori being a more stylized character type with that unique mouth shape that will typically just waggle as she continues to clench her jaw. Uh, you have the more fluid and more, um, I would say, closer to realism with. Uh, you know, the model, Sugibami, you know, she's still got some very broad expressions and stuff and she can exaggerate and she's very exaggerated in her movement, almost like her platonic ideal of the animation in her projects. They even uh, made that which, a point with yeah. how she learned how to model. Yeah, she would use herself as reference, which I really love. And uh, the the way that whole backstory with her grandmother and everything just, oh, uh, broke my heart in the best ways um and then and then you have Asakusa just being this blob uh that is more of a vehicle for movement and emotion than she is more of a you know concrete character design I would say and then they have the the pattern on her clothes you know she's got the the cameo uh you know, shirt, uh, the the backpack straps and the the hat and everything, and it's got wrinkles. And I kept watching it to make sure that the spots were staying consistent as she was moving. And like that is not easy to paint and keep on there. Like, mm, that's some good stuff. That is some really nice stuff. You know, even even when they weren't going into their visualizing world and really picking apart. Uh, you know the visuals of this anime and getting really large in scale it still moved very pleasing to me because I was noticing okay these characters are you know very wildly different from one another and also just different from a lot of anime right now even the student council had some unique designs and, uh, and I'm going to talk about was the entire sound club I, I want to talk about the robot club for a second the robot club, please do. Oh I'm yes, I'm so excited to hear about your thoughts on their thoughts on mech in general. I I loved their end product. Their their end product uh, did have a bit of a retro feel, and it reminded me, Jack, of if you remember this show, uh, listeners as well. It reminded me of Cubics Robots for Everyone. Oh my gosh! And when I saw that, it was like. That's cubics, and the eyes I, are the same. You're right. Mm-hmm. And it and it had a little bit of that modern blue collar, not quite Pat Labor, uh, mecha vibe, but almost. But I do want to talk about one person in the Robot Club in particular. Uh, I believe his name is Ono, the one with the glasses. I believe. Da-da-da! <laughs> now I want everybody once again. We're we're gonna play theater of the mind here, so Google along with me, uh, Jack. Uh, you know that I'm a big fan of the science adventure sci-fi anime franchise with Chaos Head, Steins Gate, and most specifically Robotics Notes. Yes. Uh, th- this was an anime about a club working to build a giant robot. 
hey hey <laughs> and there is one particular character my favorite character in robotics notes by the name of Subaru Hidaka Hidaka and he he plays this persona Mr. Play this but really if you all out there uh, were to google this character uh, Subaru Hidaka from Robotics Notes Theater of the Mind uh, you'll see that he has he looks like a a typical kind of Japanese teenager who might be a bit of a nerd he's got the glasses and, and you know what you might imagine uh, somebody that's really into robots would be into now Hold on to that and then open up uh, another tab. And if you've watched Keep Your Hands Off, Azekin, you'll remember that dude from the robot club with the glasses. He and cried a lot. He cried a lot because he loves robots. He wants the platonic ideal of robots in real life. It needs to be real. It needs to feel like I can pilot it with my own two hands. <laughs> It's the same dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that might be deliberate. There might be oh, a deliberate yeah. reference there. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I was seeing a lot of identical uh, or I would say homages, which is the right. Uh, I think the right way to go about it. Uh, some some similar shots to the uh, coming home scene, the beginning of Spirited Away. Uh, that very first episode is just like right on the nose with that. Some really nice, uh, good touches on that stuff. I think you could probably, you know, many various people from, uh, you know, consuming various uh, genres of anime might find, you know, some uh, subtle references and Easter eggs and loving homages here and there. I think that's a dead ringer for him. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I do appreciate that they went meta a little bit and said, guys, we all love robots, but you don't really see a whole lot of robot anime anymore. They they, they kind of went meta with it and was like, yeah, you, you don't. And everybody loves giant robots. What happened? What happened? I am so glad that you watched that particular arc uh more i'm glad that you watched more of it but that one in particular i knew would speak to you of where's all the giant robot anime i mean yeah like do do we really need another three or four isekai shows honestly come on like i i would like for it to break up a little bit just a little bit of the monotony with some giant robots and there were so many different ways that they brainstormed for this robot anime to go and they had to change the designs of things and there was an internal logic to stuff which was in and of itself pretty hilarious of well you really can't work on this unless it makes some level of sense can you like it doesn't (laughs) just some really nice back and forth there and a good commentary on the nature of mech and that Final it had good commentary in general, just as a whole, yes. on, on creation, making animation, making any kind of show, and just how it comes from beginnings, ideas, to actual production and distribution. It was really fascinating to watch. So, yes, I, I will say to everyone, Jack, to you, to all of my friends, keep your heads off, Azekin. 
it, it gets the thumbs up. It it's a good. Yes, I would love to see if um, you know, there is more material in the manga apparently to adapt. So it is possible with how popular this is that it could get a second season. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that uh, live action film is going to go. Obviously, uh, I believe that that will be a bit of a standstill on that news for a while. But man, this is a very solid series. And I highly recommend anyone who even slightly has an interest in anime animation or is an artist, by all means, it's a must recommend. And even if you're not, there is something for everyone. I think that the character of Kanamori really brings in an outside perspective to be able to break up a lot of the more industry babble and the talk about the tools and the process and everything to be able to kind of take another step back and go, well, are you going to get it done in time? Uh, Seriously, we have a week. (laughs) You have to get the plot finished. The storyboard needs to be complete or we can't produce. I have the meeting with the network. I literally just put my suit in the dry cleaning. Yes, I had a, I had to buy a suit. And yes, that's being taken out of lunch lunch budget. Uh, can we just talk about how the security club team yes. goes and all the men in black following uh, the famous model around school and the student council being like the elite four of this really dramatic hearing where they can bring down the hammer and just ban your club for life. Just some good dramatic stuff there. So don't think for a second that when you start this, it's going to be your typical slice of life anime because it really, it can go ham when it wants to as well. And it was really good when it did. Yeah. Uh, I think that that final stand with the robot club, uh, when uh, their their anime is being shown is just a an absolute dead to rights romp, and Ono deserves the Medal of Honor for his service and uh, his excellent wing change zipline across the campus. Just some really inspired stuff. It, it really cow. was. It really was. So that's my anime pick for twenty twenty. I, I'm still waiting on mine as far as anime goes for 2020. Still waiting on mine. But we'll keep talking about anime until I find one right here on the anime podcast of some sort. Jack, thank you so much for doing this podcast with me each and every time we do it. I mean that every single time from the bottom of my heart. Thank you so much. Everybody. My co-host, Jack McAllister, the ever-talented Jack McAllister. Follow him on Twitter at DuckBehindTheWheel. Check out his art. He's got a Patreon. I believe it's patreon.com slash Art. That is correct. Patreon. Patreon.com slash Jack McAllister art. Support one of my favorite artists in the world, please. I'd really appreciate it if you did. I'm totally biased. <laughs> I appreciate your bias. <laughs> Check out the anime podcast of some sort in your pod feeder of choice. iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. We got this one a little extra long for you since we're all quarantined and self-isolated. So we hope you enjoyed it. And until next time, we'll... I'm bringing it back. We shall have conversations about Japanimation, baby, in the not-too-distant future. 
Sonic Set. Stay inside.